Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, and joining me today, we've got a very special guest. He is a three-time world champion. He's a two-time Olympian for Great Britain. Uh, He held the world record in the 50-meter backstroke for nine years and two days until just over two years ago. Uh, Please welcome Liam Tancock. Liam, how's it going, man? Awesome, yeah. Thank you very much, Coleman, for the introduction. Very nice. Absolutely. I, I, I tried to do a little homework. Uh, I, st- I studied up on you as best I could. Um, so let's let's get started with the here and now. I want to know, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you've been you've been watching the ISL just a little bit. Do you think that you could jump in a pool right now and do the 50 meter backstroke skins? I could do it. I wouldn't I wouldn't be very fast. <laughs> No, I, I love the water and it's, um, you know, it's a great opportunity for those guys to, to get in and race. But no, I, I certainly wouldn't be competitive. I, I, um, I enjoy the experience and that's all it is. It's not about times anymore or positions for me. It is for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Are, are, do you, are you still swimming? Do you still stay in the pool at all? Uh, well, because of the current restrictions, it's been very difficult. So obviously the elite guys are back training and but not all the not all the pools in the country are even open. So, you know, in the UK, we're probably expected to lose um, maybe 25 percent of pools. So 25 percent of pools in the UK will, will potentially never open. So um, just because of the cost and the, and the current climate, um, lots have been mothballed. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, it's it's obviously been a very devastating time for uh, for the world of well water sports really, um, and a, a anyone who who loves the water as much as 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 us, yeah, it's been tough, tough. So no, I haven't been in the pool for for a long time. But I, you know, there's nothing better than diving into the water. So as soon as I can, I'll be there. That's I mean, it's good to hear you. you, you... I feel like you encounter a lot of elite athletes who just did it for so long and they grinded and they grinded. And when they were done, they're like, all right, I'm never getting in a pool again. And, uh, it's, you know, that's kind of a, that's sad for me to hear because I like swimming so much. And, uh, it's, it's good to hear that, that you're still in tune with the water and still have a love for it. Certainly. Oh, exactly. And it, it, it is tough. And as you say, I know lots of people, and I was probably one of those guys that needed a bit of time out of the water. Um, but I think, it, it never really leaves you. It never really leaves you that that feeling. And I think actually the best moment for me is actually that diving. When you first dive into the water, you feel the water, you glide, and it's that experience. It's it's like nothing else. You're almost in your own bubble. So um, I remember I used to do it leading into a major competition. Basically, as soon as I've shaved down, my first thing, first thing I would have done would be a dive and glide. And um, maybe it's come from that, but it was, uh, yeah, always special. That, uh, man, the, the feeling of getting in the, the, your first time in the water after a clean shave, there is nothing like that, but that, that's a, that's a really cool, uh, you know, ceremony or ritual that you would do it just to dive and glide after you shave. Did you, uh, have like, did you know where your furthest one was? Did you, did you count the, the number of crosses or T's you would cross after each dive and glide? 
it was one of those I, I talk about f- f- the feel a lot when I when I talk about swimming and my swimming especially and obviously every pool slightly different some have tiles some don't um so for me it was the feel that I got when I dived into the water I knew how I was going to swim that meet you know whether it's the Olympic Game World Championship Commonwealth Games I knew how I was going to swim based off a dive and glide all right uh that's fascinating. Tell me, tell me about that. You know, you're, you're, I get, you're a guy who's into feel. Um, what was a good dive and glide like versus a, a not so good dive and glide? It wasn't really about the distance, although obviously the distance definitely mattered. Um, it was more about the, and, and I did it in my own time. So it wasn't even off a, a, a take your marks a go. It was more my body telling me, right, I'm ready to go. I want to feel this. I want to, um, I want to feel every part of this. And obviously your, your senses are heightened because you've just shaved down. So yeah, I'd explode off the block and it was from obviously a block. It wasn't a backstroke start. It was actually off the block. Um, no kicks at all, straight into a full streamline, really holding it as tight as possible. And every part of that I was really in tune with. So um, I knew if my little toe was sticking out a little bit, it was very much like honing that skill to, um, to be the best I could be. And it was all about the feeling. So yes, the distance mattered. And, you know, I, I can't even remember what my best was now, but it was, um, it was all really about the feel. And I knew from that moment that, you know, I'd come up with a smile on my face and my coach would probably be, you know, give me a thumbs up. They could probably tell by then as well. It was always really. That's, that's fascinating. I've never heard, I've never heard that, but that's, that's a really, Again, that's a that's a really cool ritual. Um, do you do you remember a specific meet where you, you dive and glided, and then you were like, all right, like what was the best dive and glide you ever had at an, at a big international meet? Do you know the first ever dive and glide I ever did was back when I was swimming for Exeter, my first ever swimming club, my first ever shaved down, and I went to put a pool boy in and, and start my warm up, and my coach was like, I'm going to stop you and pull me back and sort of explain the situation. It was like, look, you've never felt a shave down before. Like, use this moment to to feel it. And I was like, I don't know what you mean. And it was like, just dive in and feel it. You don't have to do anything, just feel the water. And I remember that. And then after that moment, I did it all the time. It was incredible. So um, that was probably my, my favourite. But all the way through, and, I, you know, the last major competition, competition I did was... Um, the world championships in Kazan in 2015. So, um, you know, and I did it there in the warm up pool. It didn't even need to be in the main pool. It was in the warm up pool behind. Um, and it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was really cool, but I did it every major meet I went to every pool I went to, to be fair, even if I was in a training camp and it was a new pool, I did quite like that. You get to know a lot about a pool by just diving in. So, um, yeah, maybe that's a bit strange. But this is a conversation between swimmers that only swimmers would understand, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I love where your head's at. Uh, and and speaking of things only swimmers would understand, you know, you said the diving glide helped you understand each pool. And I, and I recently talked to a couple of different swimmers about um, comparing international experiences. And they're like, it's so hard because every set of circumstances you go to, you know, whether it's Kazan, whether it's London, whether it's uh, Budapest, whether, you know, it's in the U S it's in Asia, it's, it's every pool. So different, every set of circumstances surrounding 
a world champs, a Commonwealth Games, an Olympic Games is so different. Do you have do you have a favorite pool to compete at? One that that specific pool really stood out to you is like, yeah, this, yeah, I, I can do a good dive and glide, and I'm going to swim fast here. Um, from a home pool perspective, Sheffield Ponds Forge was pretty incredible. Um, you know, it's I think it held a World Cup back in the day, and there's lots of world records being broken there. Um, but it was sort of a staple for us being in the Midlands. And it actually nearly closed down. We actually petitioned and got it to uh, got some money to reopen it recently. And it's, it's due to open, I think, next week, which is really exciting. So that would have been a pool that would have been a really shame to lose. Um, obviously, London, London Olympic pool, um, you know, an incredible facility. I actually really liked when I went over to Melbourne, um, both for the Commonwealth Games and for the World Championships. So 06 and 07 both different pools, but it was, it was really, um, it was a cool environment with the, the different setups over there. Um, obviously one was inside the Rod Laver tennis arena. Um, and, uh, the other one was in the, 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 the normal pool there in, in Melbourne. Um, every pool's got its quirks. Every pool's got its, you know, um, different things that make it special. Actually just talking about Melbourne, the Melbourne pool inside the Rod Laver Arena. Incredible. Some amazing tennis players have, you know, um, done the Aussie Open there, which is, you know, for us to swim in it, it was really good. They did the same in the UK in the Manchester um, MEN Arena. Um, they did that for the World Short Course Championships in 2008. But I remember in uh, in Melbourne, it was the first time they truly used the fire and the, you know, the, the, the cool stuff going on outside of the pool, which meant, the pool was was even uh, sorry the experience in the pool was even better the thing that i didn't like is that the pool was obviously deck level but to go anywhere you had to go down some stairs so after racing the the 100 backstroke final um trying to walk down the stairs with the other eight guys in the um uh in the final was uh yeah a bit of a killer on the legs <laughs> But, and again, yeah, just speaks to every, every pool is different. Every pool's got its, its quirks and whatnot. That sounds like a cool experience, but yeah, the stairs after a race doesn't sound ideal for sure. Oh, good. Down. Going up would be okay. It's going down. They were steep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's no good. Um, <clears throat> so you mentioned... We're, we're jumping all over the place, but you mentioned the 2012 London Olympics and, um, you know, obviously that that was a home Olympics for you. Um, what, I mean, tell me about the, the mentality going in of, wow, I'm going to compete at an Olympics on, on home soil for me. Truly incredible. Obviously my first, well, my first, uh, Olympic games experience was over in Beijing in 2008 and China put on a great show. It was, uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, and I probably didn't truly know what the London Olympics was going to be like until I'd competed at an Olympics. So, um, you know, that was special, but actually the, the excitement and the buzz around the Olympics just sort of grew and grew and grew. And it wasn't probably until the last couple months leading into the, into the games that, you know, the whole of the UK changed tact and it was rather than, you know, this is going to grind London to a halt. Everyone got behind it. The games makers made that experience. Um, and it was, it was truly incredible. And I feel pretty lucky and privileged to, to have 
to have basically been good enough to compete at home Olympic Games, everything's got to fit at the right time. So not many people go to the Olympic Games full stop, but actually to have one that actually fits within a time where you're at your peak and it's a home games, that's, you know, that's a very small minority of people. So it's, um, yeah, super, super special to, to almost reminisce and think about that. You know, I've heard the, the Aussies talking about how amazing Sydney was 20 years ago and, you know, how crazy it is. It's been 20, 20 years since the Sydney 2000 Olympics, but it, it means so much to, to that, to that individual who competed at a, a home games. It is, it is different than, than any other. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seems like it would be a, a truly special and, and memorable experience. Do you have um, a favorite memory from that games, <clears throat> whether it was in the pool, out of the pool? I mean, what, what stands out to you about that experience once you were actually, you know, submerged in it? Um. I think the biggest memory is is the crowd and you know I hear sports people sports fans you know rugby football NFL whoever it might be whatever sport it might be they always talk about the home crowd advantage Mm -hmm. and I never really understood it you know I I had a cousin that played in the premiership for the for football and you know he talked about it all the time and I just never really understood it until I walked out in the final for the 100 backstroke in London. That was the only time I've really ever properly felt it. Obviously in the lead up rounds was was amazing. But mm. in the final walking out and there's 17,500 people in the stadium cheering for me, it was literally they were chanting my name. And I was just like, this doesn't happen in swimming. So, and it was the only time I've ever heard, heard the crowd when I'm actually swimming as well. So, you know, turn on the turn, I could hear the crowd cheering. So it was, for me, it was, again, the feeling. I talk about feeling a lot. It was the feeling of that experience was what truly made it special for me. And we couldn't, as Brits, we couldn't go anywhere with our kit on. And, you know, it, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, I got chills just, just listening to that story. Um, I mean, that I, I can't imagine, yeah, 17,000 people just... Just, just cheering um, for you, nonetheless. It, it sounds, yeah. Uh, I mean, that sounds so cool. And so, your uh, your national teammate James Gibson, who's now one of the coaches for ISL, um, he was he was you swam with him. He was your coach for a while. Tell me about that relationship. Um, how you guys became first peers, and then as a as a coach athlete. Um, so James, um, 50 breaststroke world champion, became world, world champion in 2003. Um, he trained in Loughborough, Loughborough University at the program there under coach Ben Titley. And I moved to university in 2003. So the end of 2003, I moved up to Loughborough from, from Exeter. So um, from the southwest into the Midlands and, and basically joined the group, joined the team. Um and, you know, we're surrounded by great athletes, a great coach and, you know, learning from all these people. You know, James was a, a, a fresh new world champion. Obviously, he did the 100 as well. I think he came second in the 100, won the 50. And, you know, there's some real good pedigree amongst the group. And I was the, you know, the young gun, the new kid coming through. Um, and then obviously we went on training camps and, and such like. So we had a close relationship as our team. 
Um, and then I guess my first senior team, um, I was I was just roommates with James. So we, we became roommates. So every major meet we went to, we pretty much were, well, we were roommates, which was great. So um, knew everything about each other. And it was the, it was the, uh, you know, a, a great relationship. And um, obviously he retired, went over to Marseille, started coaching. And, um, you know, he's obviously head, head coach of the energy standard ISL team. So he's doing a, a fantastic job, but I learned a lot from, um, from, from training, but also um, when he came back from Marseille and actually um, went on to coach me. So he actually coached almost the group, although the group was totally different. He coached the same group and I was pretty much the only one left uh, left there. So it was it, it was really nice, actually. So my so we were all coached by um, Ben Titley, who's over in Canada and Toronto with the, the national team over there. And it was when Ben retired or not left the, the national centre to take the role over in Canada is when James came back from Marseille to take over the, that role. So it was almost everyone knew each other very well. So it was almost a very good relationship. And, you know, lots of people said this to me. It's like, you know, he's, he's a good mate. You, you know him super well. Um, you know, you've lived together. We, we lived in the same block. Do you know what I mean? We trained together. We, we, um, how does that work on a, on a coach athlete relationship? Um, and it did, it just worked. I think we're both, we were both older athletes or older. I, I was an older athlete. Um, and yeah, we, we both had the, the respect as a, an athlete and as a coach. And we took that on board. And, you know, when we walked onto poolside, it was, you know, an athlete coach relationship, but we could still have our, you know, our friendship, both inside and outside the pool, which was really special. Yeah, I mean, that's I. I don't know if I've ever heard of a, an elite athlete. You know, you you were. Uh, you, I mean, you medaled in the fifty backstroke at four straight world championships. You've got a you've got a high pedigree, and someone of that level being coached by their someone who's so close in age to them as you know a peer and uh, a former a former uh, athlete. Uh, but that, that is really cool. So, I mean, what did you pick up from James once he came back to Loughborough and, and you really started working with him? Uh, going back to your previous question, I think it's all about respect. I think if you respect the athlete, you respect the coach, you respect the person. And, you know, I'm there to do my best. He was there to do his best. We all want the same common goal. So it was, it was relatively easy just because we were mates. It almost made it easier. So, um, yeah, from from that perspective, it, it wasn't even a thing. It just it just sort of happened. Like, um, yeah. And I think for for me, what what James brought back into the program is, um, you know, we always had quite individualized programs anyway. With Ben, he he was a an unbelievable session writer. You know, I was coached by Ben for ten years, and I don't think we did the same session twice. It was <laughs> incredible. Um, yeah. But we were all very in, in individualized, even within the same group. We, you know, we were doing different sessions that all fit around the same principles, but to get the best out of every individual. But I was coming when I was with James. I was uh, an older athlete. I was coming more to the end of my career. I'd, I'd been to the, the you know two Olympic games. I still had more left in me, whether it's Commonwealth Games and and World Championships. But it was more learning how to deal with an older athlete so he was an older athlete he trained with older athletes he he took all his knowledge on board and actually um 
shared that with me and it was like well how can we get the best out of you today and I think the, the biggest thing I learned is that the older I got the more I struggled to recover so I could do one thing very well but actually the recovery took longer so if I had a good session you know when I was 18 I could back him up back him up back him up but as I got older I had a good session and hit a, hit a real good energy system you know I would need to recover from that and it might take me longer and that's probably ultimately what ended my career because I couldn't back up the heats, the semi and the final. If I went all out, my that's what affected me at, at the end. It was just the recovery rate between was was really difficult. So to to learn that and take take some um, some really valuable lessons and information from James was was obviously fantastic. But also he. Um, he sort of looked at it in a slightly different way, obviously as a former athlete, but working with different coaches in different countries, you're going to pick up different ideas. And, um, you know, I was always known for my speed, my speed going out. Um, but actually working with James, I, I had a decent front end, but I had the best back end I ever did. And I was doing less meters and I was older. So I took lots from that. That's interesting. See so the best back end of your career later in your career, uh, doing less meters. How, how, why, why, I mean, why do you think that was? Uh, consistency, I think. Um, and I was one of those guys that could do something really well. Like if it was lifting a weight, I could lift a heavy weight, but I wasn't, you know, I, I could never repeat them that, often so um for me it was it was like well how can we how can we look your take your body type take your the way your body reacts to um exercise and make it better so you know for, for me it was it was almost as simple as backing off the front end my, my easy speed was as quick as my speed so if it was easier to do it i had more energy to come back so um, you know, more consistent on the stroke rate rather than starting at 60 and ending on 50. You know, if I kept a consistent stroke rate of 55 the whole way, an average of them all, I'd actually be better for it. So, um, yeah, so we just looked at, looked at the same picture in a different way. Yeah, I mean, that seem it seems smart i think you see you hear about a lot of people making changes like that and it, it seems you know obviously you had success with it and that's that's really cool uh and so you you mentioned you were known for your front end speed you mentioned you can lift heavy things T tell me about how your training changed maybe outside the pool as you got older and matured through the sport um I was, I always looked at, I was always lucky enough to be in a group where we looked at things differently rather than looking at what happened in the past, which we did. We looked at, you know, what people have done for, you know, hundreds of years and why the best people are the best people. We sort of took that to another level and said, well, yes, these were the best athletes over the last hundred years in the pool. We can learn a lot from them, but actually if we truly broke down our event, you know, if we truly broke down swimming, we can take different things out of it. So, you know, I'll give you an example. We all, we all start the race and it's an explosive 
action of jumping, whether it's on the block or off the pad, is swimmers, there's a few that do, and there are great, but they're not known for jumping. They're known for swimming. So if we looked at different sports that were actually known for jumping, say basketball, long jump, triple jump, and actually spoke to them, which they specifically train for that one element, and broke it down, so broke the stroke of backstroke or the start or different key parts of a race down into key elements and took took a little bit from everyone. You know, athletics, they've started on track start for hundreds of years. Swimming, it's not been that long. It's since Beijing or something. So, you know, it's not been that long. So we can learn more from them because they've been using a track start for longer. So we sort of thought outside the box, um, and that's where lots of different cross training came in for me. It was like, who's good at something? Why are they good? And how does that directly relate back to me in the pool? And how can that make me faster? So, you know, we looked at kickboxing, we looked at ballet, we looked at rock climbing, we looked at all sorts. Um, and people are always like, well, that's, you know, that's crazy. Why did you do ballet always gets everyone? Why, why do you, why did you do ballet? And I wouldn't say I did ballet in, in the normal sense, but I, you know, if we looked at a ballet dancer, male or female, it doesn't matter. They've got a super strong core and they're hyper aware of their body position, their hand placement, their toe position. As a swimmer, a good swimmer needs to have a super strong core, body aware and hand and feet placement. It's just, it just coincides. So if we can learn to have that outside the pool, we can take that in the water and, and directly relate it. Same with kickboxing. Kickboxing, they're like, why do you do kickboxing? But actually for me, for backstroke, is people talk about the arms and the legs in swimming, but actually the hips and the core are super, super important. So, you know, we we learned with a, a, a you know, black belt kickboxer who who taught us how to use our hips more powerfully on land so then we could relate that into our kick or underwater um in, in backstroke which was which was really interesting to understand and you know you talk about boxes if they're throwing a punch and they're flat it's not got much power but if you swing into it if you move your hips and you create that power from somewhere else you you become better and you you move more or you create more power or whatever it might be so we basically tried to cherry pick or look at the stroke, break it down and cherry pick the best athletes around the world who were really good at it and then try and pull it all back together. So I didn't do it through through the whole season. And, you know, as I say, when I was kickboxing, we did a bit of sparring, but it wasn't really about that. It was trying to create the power and teach the body to to use the body in a more effective way. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> everything you just said makes so much sense to me from, from like a coaching perspective and from an athlete learning perspective. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think we see more people trying to think outside the box now, but I, I like, that makes so much sense of like, okay, well we can transition this here and this is how the best do it. Yeah. <clears throat> it's brilliant. Uh, but I think if you give ownership back to the athlete and almost enable them to, um, to find their rhythm, to find their way, and and to understand their body, and almost you know you can push them in the right direction, but ask them to 
think outside the box, not just telling them. I think that helps. And I think that's what, you know, Ben Telly or, or James Gibson really taught me as well. It's, it's not just here on a plate. It's like, you know, let's, let's all think together and all our minds together are better than one. And we can bring that to the table, which is, which was always really good. And that's what Loughborough really helped with. Loughborough University was uh, an enabler of that. You know, Ian Armadur at the, you know, the helm of the programme really supported that thinking. You know, he was, he really supported that thinking that, and that network through Ben and, you know, mentoring Ben and, and vice versa with James, uh, you know, as a coach and an athlete. And I think that really helps. If you surround yourself by the right people, good things can happen. Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds like it. And, and you obviously had a lot of success and were able to have a very long career. Um, I mean, you, you, you swam well into 30. I, is that correct? Yep. Um, so, you know, through, through all of these different, um, cross training methods on dry land, was there ever one, um, or one season where you, where you thought it really hit and really translated into the water for you? Not particularly. No, it wasn't, there wasn't one key moment. There wasn't one key year, one key element. It was more a, um, a combination of, consistency and I think that's the key you know I think there's a, a Bruce Lee quote out there where he says I'm not afraid of of someone that's practiced uh, um, 10,000 kick one time it's the people that's practiced one kick 10,000 times they're the people you need to worry about so if we can create a a consistent almost like a culture within within the support within the sport it's that's what I think helped me um, you know, I said I moved to Loughborough University in 2003 and, you know, I ended my career there and it was a, a fantastic experience that enabled me to, you know, I had all the facilities, I had all the coaching, the support network to enable me to, um, to be consistent. And I think that's um, definitely a big, a big key for me. Yeah, I mean, that's... I starting your yeah your international career in 2003 and ending it you know 12 13 years later in the same place really speaks volumes of yeah this this place must have had must have done something right for sure um so okay to, to wrap things up um just just a couple fun questions do you have a favorite race or a race that sticks out to you um as being you know as being a good one um not really i think i think for me um i just love racing it wouldn't matter where it was when it was if i was ready to race i just love that element of racing so i think i think there's a couple things there's you know i always wanted i always wanted to break the world record um and i broke the world record for the first time in 2008 in pond forge in sheffield um I beat it uh, from a German, Thomas Ripraff. And, you know, next time I saw him, he shook me hand and said, well done, which was, you know, a really nice, respectful thing to do. And within a few months, Randall Bow from America broke the, broke the world record. And it wasn't until the following summer over in Rome at the World Championships where I broke it back in, in the semi-final and then broke it again in the final. And I think for me, um, regardless of the... The, the timing or anything, that pool over there is incredible. 
in uh, in Rome, the outdoor pool, and I wish we did more outdoor meets because you know I, I loved it even as a backstroker. But to stand on the podium um, and listening to the national anthem, having won a gold in a world record time, was was pretty cool. So for me, it was more about the experience of racing, but in terms of a moment, um, yeah, that was pretty special. And to to repeat that two years later. Um, you know, standing on the podium in in Shanghai in 2011, having won the um, won the gold again was yeah was awesome. I mean, it, again, you you 2005, you won bronze in a 50 back at World Champs. 2007, you repeat as bronze, and then you know you were 2009, you were able to win gold, and then 11, able to repeat as gold, um, four medals and four you know in the same event a world champ four consecutive world championships that's again to me that's that's pretty amazing no, and appreciate a pretty big accomplishment it is cool to look at it and i think that i guess that shows consistency and that's what i've always looked up to with people in in different sports it's not people that sort of gone there and done it once it's people that's stayed around and been consistent and if you look back in you know my first world championships when when i did get the the bronze medal in montreal in 2005 I think I was seven one hundredths behind the gold, so it wasn't as if it was a great distance anyway. Even when I, you know, you know that swimming, right? So um, no, it's 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 an amazing. It's it's been amazing, and I probably only truly looked back at my career once I'd finished. Um, you know, so your introduction, it's always nice to hear, but I I tend not to hear it. I didn't hear it when I swam, and it's only when I do things like this and in interviews that you know people bring it up. <laughs> Wow, that's yeah, that that is that is pretty cool. <laughs> um, so so uh, to, to wrap things up, bring it full circle. What do, what do you do now? Um, you know, tell tell me about your day to day, and and obviously it's been it's been a weird seven months for the whole world. But um, yeah, what, what you know, how, what are you doing now, and and are you able to connect with the swimming community still? Yeah, definitely. So I'm I'm still heavily involved in swimming. I I absolutely love it. Um, from a from a day to day perspective, um, once I retired from the sport of swimming, I didn't want to I didn't want to leave, um, and I wanted to sort of try and give back in a in a slightly different way. And and actually, looking at looking at swimming, we've talked a lot about it. Obviously, now is that I was classed as a good swimmer not because it was just me but the team around you whether it was Loughborough my coaches the sports staff and I I noted that in my mind and I tried to plan what I wanted to do after sport but I really took that on board that I wasn't just a good athlete you know Lewis Hamilton world champion Formula One driver if he didn't have the mechanics around him his team of you know 100 or 200 people he wouldn't be as fast in the car so I took that into the world of business. So, um, you know, I was looking to set up a, a, a brand um, for the world of swimming and I didn't really know anything about setting up a brand. I didn't really understand that side of things. I'd, I'd learned a lot. I've worked with some, some really big brands, but I needed a team around me that did. Um, so we created this team, people that have been in the business in, you know, whether that's design or industries um, in fashion, whatever it might be, finance, and we created a team and created a new uh, swimming brand called Swimsy, but really focusing on the apparel side, so the clothing. Um, and there was a number of reasons for that. And it's, I guess, the main thing is there's good brands out there that do things very well. 
you know, and why would we go up against them? We want to make swimming bigger and more, uh, just a, a more well-rounded um, approach. But then I looked at me as an athlete and, you know, I'd go to the Olympic Games and my event was less than a minute long. You know, if I did heat, semi and final, I'd be there for three, three minutes of racing. If I did the the, um, the relays, an extra couple of minutes. So five minutes of racing and I'm there for a month. So actually, what was my identity? My identity, you know, I was always known as Liam the swimmer, but inside the pool. Everyone knew I was a swimmer, but outside the pool, how could people understand? So we were like, maybe we can create a brand that showed I was a swimmer that was cool to non-swimmers, but showed I was a swimmer. So that's where Swimsy was born. Um, and we also try to do some, some slightly different things. So one of the, one of the big things for me is in the UK, and I'm sure this is a, glo a global thing. And we spoke to enough people is that swimmers don't drink enough, whether you're nine year olds learning to swim or you're, you know, a 30 something year old coming out of the, out of the sport, people don't drink enough so we created a, a, a bottle so a bit like this it's, it's a litre bottle I think everyone needs a litre bottle and on the side we created a best practice session plan so it's got your dry and your warm up your preset your main set your warm down and your stretch so as you're going for a session you know how much to drink so it's almost giving that ownership back to back to the athletes back to the young swimmers rather than a parent or a coach saying you need to drink more you need to drink more it's actually policed by the by the group around them. They're like, oh, we're on the main set. Why is yours still on the, the warm-up? So it's been really cool. So we've been trying to do different things. And um, that's been really cool. Obviously, it's been a tough time at the moment with um, with the current you know global pandemic going on. Um, but it's I think it's an, an exciting time for um, for me, Swimsy, um, and the swimming community once we get out the end of it. And there's a couple of other things that I'm doing. Um, I'm still, you know, heavily involved within British swimming. Um, I'm on the, um, so the British Olympic Association, so Team GB's Athlete Commission. So I'm still involved in, in ways like that as well. So um, still firmly on the ground. Um, love being at meets. Love, you know, I was over in, um, in Korea last year and absolutely loved it. So um, I'm never too far away from a, a, a swim meet. Uh, I, I have to ask, tell me, tell me about watching in person, the 400 medley, the heart, the, for me, heartbreaking 400 medley relay, uh, where Duncan Scott ran down Nathan Adrian and, and gave you guys your first ever gold in that event. Pretty special, right? Yeah, it was really cool. The, um, you know, sometimes it just works and it just clicks and those guys had it on that night. You know, I think that's the, the, the good thing about swimming is, you can, if you're all far at the same time, something magical can happen. And um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty special. Uh, well, Liam, before we sign out, do you have any, any parting thoughts uh, for our listeners out there? No, just, just obviously I understand it's a tough time for everyone out there. We'll all be back in the water at some point and um, just stay positive and uh, yeah, enjoy life. Well, uh, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, for taking a bit to sit down and talk with me. It was great hearing some of your stories. And, you know, obviously you, you've been in the swimming for a long time and you have a lot of knowledge. And I appreciate you dropping some nuggets on us. Thank you. Thank you, Coleman. Always. Anytime.
You've been listening to the Swim Swam Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam Podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.